this is Sue Izzo, and I had an awesome time speaking with Ryan Folan today. We covered topics such as demographics, psychographics, meatballs, marinara, and how we're going to dance our way onto many stages to educate you guys. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast, brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone. It is Ryan, and I am back, and I'm super pumped because this person who you're going to meet today, I saw her on the big stage, and I'm pretty sure she was throwing her voice to sound like the female version of me with everything she was saying. And I was captivated, and I was obviously one of the first people to talk with her after she got off the stage. And then after further conversation, I said, you need to come on to my World of Speakers podcast. So today we have Sue Izzo. She's not only a keynote speaker, but she's a writer. She's a marketing educator. And I find it interesting that she's a recovering sports agent. So Sue, welcome to the show. From your stage to my stage here on the radio waves, even though this is a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Excellent. Not just good, but two goods. So this is great. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if there's an equation like good, good is equal to great. Great, great is equal to grand. I now might be compelled after this to come up with a whole series of equations that have to do with words because it's fascinating when I ask somebody, how are you or what's going on? There's different versions and variations, and I think we could plot them out. So I'm going to say good, good is great. I love that because, you know, I kind of want to go with like, I'm super duper, I'm, yeah. I'm rad, I'm awesome, you know, all those good things. As yeah. long as I have a pulse and I'm breathing every day, I'm amazing. Awesome. I use rad all the time and I've been called out on tweets saying like, do people still <laughs> use that? I'm like, yes, we do. It's rad. I know. I mean, you can be rad. You could be stoked. You know, I mean, I catch myself because I vacillate between like I did in the action sports world to like corporate America and I'd be in a board meeting and I'd be like, I'm so stoked that this worked out. And everyone looks at me. I'm like, no, really, I am. Like the record stopped. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right. Well, before we get too deep into figuring out who you are by your, Mm -hmm. your good, good to great and tubular attitude on life, I like to start off with a bit of story time. So imagine that I didn't know who you are and I was talking with some guy named Ryan and he's like, whoa, I saw this lady up on stage and she was awesome. And then I asked Ryan, uh, so what is she all about? And Ryan says, oh my gosh, this one time and then continues on with a story. So what's a story that if you were to relate to people through someone else, it would kind of sum you up in a bubble. All right. All right. I got this one. Okay. So when I started my first company, I was 24 years old and I happened to just go into my fifth grade bedroom in my parents' house with all my little fifth grade furniture. And I- What kind of posters did you have up? What kind of posters did you say? Yeah. Fifth graders have posters, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It was a lot of Madonna. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. And maybe some turbo and ozone as well. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. A little hip hop in there. So, uh, yeah, so I sat down at my fifth grade desk and I had built a Rolodex when I was in college because I worked at Burton Snowboards and I decided I wanted to represent athletes and be a sports agent. So called one snowboarder. He didn't pick up, called the second. He picked up. I said, Hey, can I try to get you deals? He said, yes. I said, great. Okay. So I hang up the phone with him and I'm like, okay, now I got a client. Now I got to go get him deals. So 
I kind of figured out that in order, this was before LinkedIn in terms of how you get in touch with people in the corporate world. I knew that marketing directors were the people that made decisions about sponsorships and I needed to get in touch with them. So I kind of did a little detective work where press releases would always have like the PR person's email address in it. Right. For more information, contact. Correct. So I kind of, I would take, figure out the marketing director. I would figure out the publicist's email or the PR person's email address and then, you know, put it together and email the marketing director. And so I started off doing it like this and then I get him on the phone. Now, remember, it's me alone in my fifth grade bedroom. <laughs> so first I would call and I would cover the phone kind of with like a, like maybe like a little cloth or something to disguise my voice. Okay. And I'd be like, hello, Mr. Smith. I have Sue Izzo on the line for you. <laughs> Just please hold one moment. And then I would take it off and I'd get on the phone and be like, hello, Mr. Smith. Hi, this is Susan Izzo with the global sports management company, Mosaic Sports Management. I'm calling you about our world-renowned snowboarder, Keir Dillon. And I'd start off like this. Now, mind you, it was me, fifth grade bedroom, you know, nothing. You know, I wasn't even a sports agent at this time. And I literally built my career by doing that from the get-go. So it was kind of the hustle. I was always about the hustle and never kind of backdooring it or figuring it out. Nothing was ever polished. It was all... I don't like saying fake it till you make it because I wasn't really faking it. I was just being really creative. Right. Create it till you make it. Exactly. Create it till you make it. And so finally I'd get in the door and then it was like, oh gosh, now I had to like really play the part. Did you call a manager then? Um, excuse me. I'm like, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> totally like, how do I do this? So yeah, I think I had like one expensive dress shirt and, you know, outfit that I wore to probably 12 meetings in the first year, because that's all I could afford. So, you know, kind of the thing about me was creativity and always doing what others didn't think to do, because I didn't have the money to be, you know, a big agent at that time. I was temping in the morning and working on the agency at night. So definitely resourceful and creative. Okay. So I'm coming up with two new words. You can tell me which one you like first or which one you like better. Okay. Suitivity or isotivity? You know, I love suitivity. Everyone tends to go towards my last name, though. Mm, okay. Isotivity. So you could be like, you may have heard of creativity, but let me tell you something about isotivity. <laughs> yes. Now, what is isotivity? It's pretty much this story that you just shared. And I'm assuming that that isotivity helped you create a successful sports agency. And if you think about it, like, that's pretty gnarly, dude, to convince somebody <laughs> that you're going to represent them when you're not necessarily representing anyone. And then you play a few different parts to create some sort of credibility to then get in, wear one shirt 12 times and probably close four or five of those deals. That's that's pretty isotative. Yeah, it was. It was very isotative. And being the only female that owned a sports management company in a male-dominated industry, you know, in my niche, it was pretty, pretty interesting. But it, it all worked out. I mean, I had a 20-year career and amazing clients and uh, couldn't have dreamt it nor had nightmares about it. Amazing. So, amazing. And so yeah. if from, I'm just thinking like, you know, competitive athletes and sports, did you get to a yeah. certain point where maybe you, you broke an ankle or you broke a knee or you just got tired or, or you were just so like, was the sports industry as like draining, show me the money, everything that we think it is hyped up in the media? Was it that? Or did you just like get it to a spot and you're like, boom, I'm out. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's definitely, I would always introduce myself and say, I'm, you know, I'm the female Jerry Maguire. Like that's, nice. what, that's what my role was. And yeah, it was brutal, you know, cause it's, it's a 24 seven job. Like you're always on for your clients and their families and wives and I mean, everybody and their mother. So it was part that it was part like, okay, I built it up. It was, you know, did really well. It was great. I was thinking about winding down the business. So I sold a majority stake in my company in 15. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to be mellow. I'm just going to keep a couple clients and like slow down a little bit. And that was my big plan. And um, not even five months later, I was diagnosed with cancer. Eek. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of out of the blue. And um, I tried, you know, I went through treatment for a year and a half and, and stayed with sports management. And then once treatment was over and I went back to it like full, full time, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, I think I was one foot out the door already, but after going through cancer, it was like, okay, let's make this other half, you know, my life a little bit different. So, but nothing but, you know, good memories and good times. But I think it, the cancer, it really took me getting cancer for me to slow down. Otherwise I wouldn't have yeah, and that seems to be the case, I would assume, with most people who are diagnosed with cancer. So that's okay. Totally. You know, I mean, life life unfolds and life happens. And I just believe, like, always have, you know, you have to have humor through it. I always know that someone has it worse than me. Right. So I felt very lucky. So did that whole process help transition you to to the stage and to sort of pursuing your ability to impact more people more often from a standpoint that is instead of maybe working with a team or a few individuals, you're able to, was it this, was there an idea of just expanding this message across? Yeah, a hundred percent. I always had a lot to share and I took that knowledge and I would use it to, you know, help cultivate my athletes and the people around them. And, you know, I've always been like a teacher and a kind of a a personal cheerleader for everybody. And so I decided cancer was kind of like one of the third things that happened to me in my life. So when that finally happened, I was like, okay, it's it's time for me to kind of step out in front now because I've been behind the scenes for so long and to share these messages with people because I know I can help people not suffer or not feel alone going through things. So that's, I truly believe that's my purpose in life. Amazing. Well, let's talk about the how you're saying what you're saying when you're on stage, because people now know who you are. They have an emotional draw to you. They think that you're funny. They know that you're creative, or shall I say, isotative. <laughs> and you've now made this sort of transition and transition to sharing a message to help people out. Yeah. Is there anything that you can pull from your experience in sports agency and being Jerry Maguire that you bring to the stage that is maybe advice that people don't normally get or a different playbook that's secretly hidden in the locker room? What are some of the things that you can share with people that you use in your routine to make a larger impact, score more touchdowns or jump off more half rails or half pipes or whatever during your talk? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, I have a couple things going in my favor. Number one, I'm 100% Italian. So we are very <laughs> loud, dramatic people to begin with. And for everybody, just so you know, we spent about five minutes working on some microphone control. And I didn't know that it was just that you were Italian. You should have just told me that. You're like, there's something wrong with the microphone. There's nothing wrong with the microphone. It's just that you're Italian. 
<laughs> yeah, just I wish you could big mouth. <laughs> okay, so tip number one, become Italian. I got it. Yeah, number two, be a Leo, because that, you know, always helps. Oh my gosh, I am. Are you? Yes. When did you Yeah. Birthday? August 13th. OMG, I'm August 20th. All right. we See, I knew there was some sort of spirit it. animal or something. Yep. Yeah. You're so kindred. I love this. All right. So Italian, I'm going to work on that. Leo, check. What else? Yep. I think for me, kind of like how I started my company, I always just say like, I own what I own. There's no PhD. There's no fancy degrees or formal training. It's just me. And I think when you show up as you are and not try to manufacture something, that you're not, that's when the best stuff comes through. I really love speaking because I love having conversations with people and storytelling. I don't know how to do it any other way. Well, I would assume that people don't know how to do it even that way, right? So when you say storytelling, what does that mean for you? Yeah. So whenever I think of, I really start with the life lesson, like what is the lesson that I know? And then I go back to thinking about the stories that best represent that lesson. Like many speakers, I always want to understand my audience inside and out to know kind of what problems they have, frustrations or desires. And then that way, when I'm talking about certain lessons, I can craft a message or craft a story that hits on certain touch points, you know, so it's kind of a backward, sort of backwards way of, of going about it in terms. Is it reverse storyneering? Yeah, it's reverse story nearing. Okay, yeah, totally. totally. Yeah, 100%. So it's not just about the stories, but this is interesting because, you know, again, we talk about everybody, oh, be a storyteller, tell stories. But you're yeah. reverse story nearing. Nearing. know that you're yeah. going to pull stories that would resonate with the, what, you said desires, fears, and hopes or something like that of your audience. Totally. I mean, I'm big about like, whether it be your ideal client, it's like understanding, obviously, you know, your demographics, but also the whole psychographics part of the wants, needs, desires, and frustrations. I mean, people come to listen to us speak for something. They want something out of it, right? So you need to understand what that audience is showing up for. Whether I'm talking to young kids about depression and suicide, or I'm talking about women in, to women in business, you know, solopreneurs or, you know, what have you. It's like, just being aware of why they're there. Because I know I can relate to them. I know I have a story for them. I definitely understanding who I'm speaking to and, and what they need. And when you talk about the demographic versus psychographic, mm -hmm. for people who might have sort of listened and been like, oh, yeah, okay, kind of got it, but they don't really get it. What's the difference between a, the psychographic and the demographic and the, some other graphic, I'm sure? <laughs> sure, sure. There's plenty of graphics. Let's see here. So your demographic is like, okay, I'm going to be speaking to a bunch of 35 to 40 year old guys who are making about a hundred to 200 grand and they work in the finance category and they all drive, you know, Tesla's like those are demographics. Then your psychographics are, you know, they aspire to be the next Gary V or Tony Robbins or Richard Branson. They're frustrated because they need to, you know, they're, they don't not making X, Y, Z money or they, need to climb the ladder and they have a ceiling above them, like understanding like that part of it, where they want to be or what they're frustrated by. I think that's kind of where the magic lies in marketing. And when it comes to understanding audiences, I think you should come up with an isographic as well. I'm not sure what it is. It's okay. We could totally work on that. Yeah. You stick figures, me, big mouth. We'll totally get it done. <laughs> I can draw big figures, big figures, big, big mouths <laughs> on my stick figures. <laughs> yeah, I want you to do that. I expect that to be in my iPod graphics. 
Awesome. I will. We can definitely, you're saying some good stuff here. I'm taking some notes for some quotes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. So this idea of psychographic and demographic and isographic, you've got this mm-hmm. combination of reverse story nearing people. Yep. If you were to say your sharpest tool in your speaking shed, something that you either use, whether it's a visual or whether it's uh, your opening or whether it's a joke, is there one thing in your tool chest that you find works pretty consistently to either create engagement or get people excited or get them to lean in? Yeah. I mean, you saw, I'm not sure if you saw the opening of that talk I did at Entreport, but I came in dancing to Dolly Parton. (laughs) I honestly think I literally came in to when you were speaking, so I didn't see that. So please tell me about your Dolly Parton dance. Sure. So, you know, I was giving a talk on positioning and perception in the marketplace. And so my first example was a story about Dolly Parton, how she literally got third in a, her own lookalike contest. She entered secretly. Uh-huh. This happened in Santa Monica in the 80s. And it was a drag queen contest. And the judges perceived her as the third best Dolly Parton lookalike. And so, you know, it's kind of mind blowing, right? But yeah. like, it's all about controlling your perception, what you want to be known for, you know, all of that. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to come in, you know, talking about Dolly Parton as my first example. Well, how can I, how can I make it, make people laugh? You know, that's always a big thing for me is I love laughter. So I had the Blair nine to five by Dolly Parton. And I came out onto the stage, literally dancing and like, you know, the whole nine yards to Dolly Parton. That's how I started. I also dance sometimes. And I believe I I remember seeing you in the audience and and I get so excited after everything's done, like typically I'll do a very terrible white boy dance that has no rhythm or beat other than what is in my head. And, I, you know, just kind of like just the, all that energy is pent up from just being excited about sharing this information. And I talked to somebody afterwards. They're like, Ryan, great, great speech. But I got to tell you, man, that awful dance you did at the end, just that was it for me. So there is something about dancing. I mean, there's would you say that that fits into the self-deprecation category? Yes. I mean, listen, you got to have fun. And the minute, like when I took myself so seriously as a sports agent, that's when shit started going awry. Right. It's like, you got to laugh. And I don't believe in perfection. And I also believe, you know, when I look out into an audience, all I see are people just trying to do the best they can. And so nobody is better than me, worse than me. We're just trying to do the best we can. So that takes away a big fear for me. I still always get the nerves getting up on stage, but I think it's really important that like, I don't know, we're all just trying to get along, you know? Yeah. I just read uh, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead and it was fantastic. And she talks about how when you're in leadership relationships and dealing with your teams and your employees, you have to question like what your belief is about that person and their efforts. And if you're if you're not assuming that they're doing their best work, whatever they hand to you, you're going to think is subpar. But if you literally flip the switch and go, I'm going to assume that this is that person's best work. Now, if you need corrections, it's not that they're doing a bad job. It's that you can help them out. Totally. I thought that was a really interesting distinction. And so you're saying from an audience, have this assumption, right? We'll call it a assumption. Trying to assumption, yeah, assumption, right? It's like you zoom yeah. in. Maybe we can play on that. You zoom in and assume that they're all paying attention. Assume that they're all into it. Assume that they're all going to do their best to take whatever lessons you have from the stage and, and implement it in your life. And now you wash away all those fears, and you can just focus on delivering a message, assuming that they're going to get it. 
Right. And if you look out there and they're texting, that's just them texting their friend about how awesome you are. <laughs> or they're tweeting you up. They're definitely, you know, totally. you. yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah. They're so inspired. <laughs> and if they're sleeping, it's because they're dreaming about being like you. Yes. This is the, the Izzo flip, right? <laughs> yes. I like the it. Flip. Gosh, I wish my last name was Izzo. I feel like there's so many words I can make up around Izzo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hire you to help me out my branding. So when it comes to this idea of branding, and I know you're big on branding, and this is kind of the section where we talk about speaking tips and tricks, but I argue, which you may or may not agree, that your speech starts before you even hit the stage. Mm -hmm. Your speech starts when somebody sees you on the website when they're trying to figure out whether or not they're going to go to this event and invest money to show up or that your speech starts when they are reading your bio or, or anything like that. So what are your thoughts on that process of your speech starting before you speak? And then how does owning your own personal brand really impact that? Like it's sort of loosely strung into a speaking tip, but it's before you even speak, before you get to the stage, before you even get to the event. Oh, I agree with you a thousand percent. Consistency is really important. And we talk about that a lot. Like you know, or when I teach, I, I talk about this a lot. Like it has to be consistent across every touch point from the imagery you're using on your site to the photos. I mean, well, that is imagery on your site, you know, the, your videos, like even the content, it all has to be in the same voice. So you kind of have to make a decision of, like I said, how you want to be perceived and what you want to be known for and weave that because you're right. That is the first interaction of, yeah, I'm into what this guy's about. Like, I want to check this out. When people are fragmented and it's different in every single channel, and that's when people get confused. And the minute you have confusion, they peace out. <laughs> there is another great word from the sporting world, peace out. <laughs> they peace out. You don't want your audience being <laughs> peacing out, right? No, no, no good if they're peacing out. No good. <laughs> so I think what's, what's interesting is like even just your energy, aside from the Italian and aside from the Leoness. Do you think that part of your energy that you bring to stage is a result of having 20 years experience in the sporting world where there is excitement? There is this sort of fun element to it? No, I think it's from being 44 years old and living in this body for all those years. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, Yeah, listen, I mean, as an agent, I was the voice piece for my athletes, for better, for worse. And so, but I've always had this like, big mouth and big personality. So that's just kind of who I am. But I'm, I think, I don't know, I I always just want to have coffee talk with people, right? So that's my opportunity when I get to speak. It's like just having coffee with people and just putting myself out there. I bet you have a double espresso shot with a kicker of something else and you just ramp it up. You just feed the engine, give it some (laughs) gas and some. I just, you know, yeah, I stop myself at two cups, then I'm done. (laughs) So for people who are a little bit more soft spoken and we're both yes. we're both loud mm-hmm. individuals. Yeah. yeah. Yeah yeah. How do you okay, well before how do you sure. do you sure. think that there's value in flexing your big mouth muscles in a general sense because I don't want to go out there and say here's how people can be louder and, yeah, yeah, and whatnot yeah. but mm-hmm. but just conceptually where does it fit in on stage to have the ability to be a bit louder and, and a bit more like rah, rah What do you think? Yeah. Totally. I mean, I think here's the thing. One thing that we're not taught in life, and I learned it at way later in life, is kind of self-compassion and liking yourself. I think learning that and really being 
cool with yourself. Like I'm a good person. I know what I'm talking about because I lived it. I breathed it the whole nine yards. It's okay if I mess up or I forget something. Like when you kind of have that first and foremost, then the confidence can be built a little bit bigger or the volume can be turned up a little bit. I think when we're unsure of ourselves or doubt, I think, listen, self-doubt and negative chatter, that happens to everybody. But being able to tone down those voices, but really be comfortable in your skin, know you're a solid person, that you give more than you take, you care, like you care being there in that moment and sharing what you want to share. That's when I think you can, like I said, the volume can go up a bit. I like that. So it's not necessarily about the volume or you being loud or what some people might consider obnoxious. It's about being less coy and less shy as a result of negative self-talk or chatter or lack of confidence. Yeah. I mean, I spent years beating myself up. You know, I was my own worst critic. And my gosh, that was such a waste of energy. It did not serve me. So learning to be a little bit kinder to myself and saying, hey, you know what? Like there are so many amazing speakers that have been doing it for so long. And I could sit there and I could like make, build, like, I don't know, have that fester and me just crawl under my desk again and not do anything. Or I could sit there and say, well, yeah, they're amazing, but they haven't lived the life I've lived. So I'm the authority on that. So let me share what I know. And I know I'm a good person. And I know that I'm willing to practice and get better and learn. And so I become my own little cheerleader. And then like, you know, the positive steps start happening that way. And I think if more people just gave themselves a break and um, weren't such harsh critics, you know, I think great things can happen a little quicker. Could we say that the the stage is always greener on the other side of the auditorium or something? Yeah, the stage is definitely, it is, it's always greener. Yeah. I mean, it'd be weird to water it. We might fall, but, you know, maybe some... Well, it depends on if if it's an outdoor theater kind of, or, you know, a a speaker in the round uh, in the middle of a field or park. But yeah, or maybe maybe the stage is always redder, although that doesn't sound good. I'm thinking like TEDx, red carpet. The stage is is always greener. Yeah. No, I like it greener. You know, I have a putting green in my backyard. We can maybe put that on the stage. I like it. You know, I'm a fan of golf because it teaches me lessons every time I swing. Like, it's all about... Uh form over force. And I have to tell myself that every single time before I just try to hit the ball as hard as I possibly can. Right. And the grip, right. It's kind of what we're talking about. The flow. When you grip something so darn tight, it breaks, right. Or you shank it, you shank the ball. Yeah. But when you have a loose grip and you allow room and you allow flow, beautiful things happen. Oh, that's just giving me anxiety because literally my brain's thinking through and you're like, it's just like, literally, I just want to hold on. That's why I'm terrible at pool as well. Cause I just want to hold on. I just want to like, for me, more is more when it comes to anything. <laughs> okay. So speaking of more, let's talk about some of the advice that you would give for people who are trying to get more stage time. Some people who want to visit the green grasses of keynote stages Mm -hmm. for people that are willing to loosen the grip on their golf club and they feel like they've got a good swing, but nobody gives them any balls to hit. Mm -hmm. We've all started at one point. So maybe you sort of flash back to where you have originally started or, or in this transition. What are some of the things that stood out that one you did and worked and that you did and did not work? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, yeah. One thing that I have is persistence. I always kind of, I've always said the word no is just no for now. So I definitely 
just kind of say, okay, thank you for the no, I'll talk to you in three months. Yeah. Or hold on, let me let me give you to another agent here and then you change your voice yeah. Yeah. and then you try again. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Right. <laughs> I, I always say it's the pitch. You got to go back and revise your yeah. pitch because that's what it is. You just didn't get them with the right pitch. Right. I think one thing I'm, I'm really big on, I think, is personal relationships and being memorable. I, you know, when we talked about audience, right. And knowing who you want to be talking to the messages you have, the storytelling you want to do to a specific audience. And, you know, I believe in standing out when, because, you know, they get so many speaker applications. So how do you differentiate yourself? And number one, I would, you know, back in the day, what I would do is show up with a pot of marinara sauce. (laughs) I did. Okay. Because here's the thing. It's like, they're going to be like, remember that woman that showed up with pasta sauce, like marinara sauce? Like She must be Italian. She doesn't need a microphone. Let's get her. Well, it breaks a barrier. I'm not telling people to show up at everybody's <laughs> doors with marinara. Right. But it's like there are certain things that help you get through the door that make you stand out. And then the other thing, too, is relationship building. It's not just showing up just once when you want to speak or want a gig. And you have to keep that relationship building going on, you know, throughout the year. And it can't be just, this is what I'm doing. Look at where I've spoken, blah, 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 blah. Like that's a recipe for unsubscribing to a newsletter right there. That's a bad dose of marinara. That's got way too much garlic in it. Does that have too much garlic? But I guess garlic's really good. So no, not enough garlic, not enough garlic. That's a bad example. What, What would be the ingredient that is, an analogy to not showing up all the time, what is it that you could put into the marinara that would mess it up? Okay. Well, so a marinara should be chunky okay, and a regular gravy, as we say in Italian, that's more of like the sauce with the meatballs. Okay. So it would be bad if you had like a watery marinara maybe. Okay. So could we take the jump that saying building relationships is like adding thickness to your marinara? It's yes. you throw in another meatball, right? Oh, what meat? Meat is a meatball. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, oh, I got it. More, Wait, I just got it. Yeah, good. <laughs> the more you show up, the more you meet with people, the more coffee hours, the more relationships, the more you meet them in the middle or meet them wherever. Yes. That's more meatballs for a kick-ass marinara that's thick and chunky so much you can stand a fork in it. Yes, Okay, totally. I like this. Yeah, this is good. Oh my God, you're my new best friend. (laughs) One thing also that makes me think this piece of advice that I give a lot, and it seems to be not enough because people still do it. And I want to know your your take on it before I tell you what it is. If somebody is going up on stage, and let's say it's somebody who's pitching their business, or somebody who's giving a keynote, or somebody who's doing a workshop, the first words out of their mouth, do you think it's strong for them to introduce themselves? Hi, my name is Ryan Foland and XYZ. Or not? What do you think? No, I wouldn't. I don't think I go on stage and say I'm Sue Izzo. Okay, good, because I agree. But <laughs> I talk to people, and I, like the first thing out of their mouth is, "Hi, my name is Ryan Folan, and my business is this, or this is what I'm doing." I have no investment in you at that point. None. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Why are you wasting my time? Versus saying it was October thirteenth, nineteen fifty-three, exactly. and you're like, all of a sudden, you're like, story time. Yep. So I, I like that. It's not about you. But there's this like nervous tension, especially with uh, you know people who maybe don't have the experience speaking. They'd feel like they just start by introducing themselves. But you just got introduced, and you were introduced in the in the program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this 
there's this really smart guy that I listen to his podcast and he has this thing called the 313 method. <laughs> really? That sounds fascinating. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. About the problem you solve. Yeah. About what you do. Because yeah. you know what? That guy doesn't care what anybody does. He only cares about the problems that people solve. Exactly. I back that guy. <laughs> and if you don't know, that guy is me. Check out ryanfolden.com forward 3-1-3. You can check it all out. But that is something that I think we forget. We forget that as speakers, mm-hmm. you're trying to solve a problem. And you know, when you're trying to pitch yourself to a stage, try pitching the problem that you're solving as opposed to the material exactly. that, you're, that you're doing. Everybody, gosh, there are so many speakers right now. You mm-hmm. talked about all kinds of applications. So many people look the exact same. They Everything about them is the exact same. So how important is it to really stand out? And what are some of the practical things that they can do without having to be Italian or Leo as a basic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want to make this e- equal opportunity <laughs> information. Yeah, for everybody. Uh, well, like you just said, number one, lead with the problems that you're solving. Definitely. The other thing is... I always say, do your homework. I mean, it's so easy to find out information these days on people. And so I, I like to do my homework to know who I'm talking to or who exactly I'm, I'm trying to get to hire me because finding that common ground, I'm very much into the personal relationship, as I've said about 10 times on this interview. Meatballs. Hashtag meatballs. Meatballs. Hashtag meatballs. Like good meatballs. Yeah. If you want to build a relationship with either myself or with Sue or somebody, well, just start off with us. Yeah. Tweet us up and say with a hashtag meatballs that you'd like to meet. Yep. And I think that, uh, you know, if you send me a tweet with a hashtag meatballs, there's a good chance I'll take a meeting with you. I'm just going to say. Okay. And, you know, if you want to meet with me, hashtag meatballs, hashtag marinara, <laughs> you might get invite to my house for dinner. Awesome. And what is your Twitter for people who want to tweet you out and have some meatballs? It is at Sue Izzo. Gosh, why is that so difficult to remember? Maybe... Like, I don't know. I mean, I wish mine was that simple. I make it easier. <laughs> well, mine is just Ryan Foland. Like, good. That's a solid brand right there. It is. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's fun. I Like I said, I, I hid behind, when I first started my first company, I named it Mosaic Sports Management. I didn't go with my last name. And as I started this whole journey, everyone's like, you better use that last name of yours. I was like, all right, we'll start using the Izzo. I feel like it would look good on a jersey. Like if there was a jersey, like a King's jersey with an Izzo on the back, I would for shizzo get it. Well, you know, Jay-Z wrote a song about me, right? No. Yeah. H to the Izzo. It's about me. I thought it was S to the Izzo. Nope. It's H. No. S to the Izzo, U to the Izzo, E to the Izzo. If you haven't noticed, I'm really slow at getting jokes. That's okay because, you know, hopefully that doesn't interfere with people who are – see, that's actually good because people who are listening, they might laugh and then they hear you laugh and they get a double utility of the laugh. Yeah. I know. I like that about me. You know, it's kind of like, I, I, yeah, I laugh twice. You get two laughs out of me. So on, this, on the topic, one of the final things I want to talk about here when it comes yeah. to building these relationships and meatballs and marinara mm-hmm. to get on more green stages – What are your thoughts when it comes to social media? Because some might argue that it's a waste of time. Some might say it's the most important thing. There might be some people in the middle. You know, we're talking about tweeting us and tagging us or whatever else. But in reality, like what are some of the ways that either you use or you see people using social media to physically get booked on stage? Yeah, I think um, it's, it's such an interesting question because, you know, working in marketing, a lot of people are like, okay, you got to do it, you know, this way, ABC. And I see that, right? I see some really amazing speakers that are, 
you know, very consistent with their messaging and their imagery. So I do think it's value. I love Twitter because it's a conversation. I think that's really cool. And I love, again, it is about the education you're providing, valuable information you're providing, but also doing it in a way that is representative of who, of who you are, right? So it has to be in your voice, like I was saying earlier on. You got to be consistent across all touch points. So I think that carries through social media. You know, Instagram is another one of my favorites, just because I like capturing imagery and photos. And that's kind of fun for me to let people see my life. You're either going to see pictures of me speaking, teaching, or cooking, or maybe some pictures of my dogs. So wait, 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 what's your dog's name? I just like to ask people. Oh, yeah. So my dog's name is uh, Peace Go Sour. Excuse me? Like, uh, did you mean like Fido or Jack? You, you said something odd. Yeah. Yeah. Pisco? Pisco. Yeah. She's a, uh, a hairless 42 pound dog <laughs> from Peru. Okay. So I named her Pisco Sour. Okay. Is she featured on your Instagram? Oh, she's definitely on my okay. Instagram. So if you want to check out Pisco, Pisco Izo. <laughs> yeah. P- Pisco Sour Izo. Yeah. Pisco Sour Izo. I'd like that. Okay, cool. But th- this idea of, uh, so it's like the merging of, of your personal and your business, like that's working for you. You, people shouldn't be scared of that. Um, as long as you're not living an X-rated life, I mean, I think I'm pretty tame. I'm, you know, kind of simple person, but I want people to see me, right? Like it's not a manufactured Sue Izzo professional person. It's like, this is who I am and this is what you're hiring. It works for me. I don't know if it'll work for everybody, but I also, when I am using social, again, I, I like to give insights to what I think, what I believe, what I like to share. I recently posted something very personal on Facebook and it's something I never shared with, with people publicly. And I did it because I finally was at that place. Like I said, the self-compassion, liking myself of like, this is what I want to talk about. And I've been, went through these experiences for this reason to share, to help others. So I felt like I wasn't being I don't know. Why wouldn't I post it? Right. If I'm like putting out all this other stuff, it was kind of like, oh, you're kind of a phony by not being truthful or keeping that to yourself when this is a big platform for you. So I put it out there and it was so interesting, you know, the amount of people that were just like, A, they couldn't believe that I had had that experience and B, you know, I've been through that and B, like how many private messages I got. Yeah, it's crazy, right? I mean, that's yeah. that. So, a book that I'm writing with Leonard Kim comes out October 2019. Watch out for it. It's called Ditch the Act. And it's about that whole situation where the thing that you're the most afraid to share is probably what's going to connect you the most with your following. Yeah, I agree. Well, you're going to have to go online to figure out what that mystery revolution exposure is. <sighs> and uh, you can check out Isonis on her Isonis, yes. On all of her social sites. So, this has been fun. It's been a fun conversation. And what I think is consistent is you're talking about how it should be fun. And for the same person that dances out to Dolly Parton is giving advice that's full of sort of wisecracks and jokes and not taking her to herself too seriously. And I think that that's, that's important for people to understand because though speaking is a profession, if you're too black and white and not unique enough, you're just going to blend in with everyone else. And whether or not you're Italian, whether or not you're a Leo, whether or not you have a very friendly last name to make up words, you got to own what you got, right? A hundred percent. And like I said, it's like, I love learning. So always be working at becoming a better speaker. But whether I remember those techniques or not, when I'm on a stage, 
I always know me. So it's kind of, you know, it's exciting at the end of the day, because all of this can be intimidating, especially if you're just starting or even if you're not just starting, if you're into it, like speaking is the kind of thing where you're the one up on stage. It's not like you created an automation for yourself that can take care of it. Although I created Gingybot, which is my chatbot, which is an attempt at doing that. So if you want to say hi to yeah, if you want to say hi to Gingybot, you can say hi to Gingybot, G-I-N-G-Y bot on Facebook, and she'll talk with you. She'll get you whatever you need. But we're not at a spot now where where Gingybot can take the stage for me, and nor should she, because as a speaker, you are you. And I think that's really what what sort of stuck out throughout this. And whatever that is, you got to own what you have. And if you're not, then that's maybe a reason why you might not be getting the traction that you want to see. So all of that with some meatballs and thick sauce to boot at a table. I mean, come on. What a good food for thought we've had here today. Right. Oh, so much fun. All right. Well, if somebody was going to try to find you online, where would you point them? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sue Izzo. Hashtag meatballs. Hashtag meatballs. Hashtag marinara. And you can also find me on Instagram. Same Sue Izzo. And yeah, you can shoot me an email at sue at sueizzo.com. See how great that is? Everybody, if you're listening to this and you saw how easy that was, her Twitter handle, her Instagram, and her email all happen to be very similar and the same. That's another great way to make it simple for people to find you. So sueizzo is out there, throw a .com behind it, put it into a social media platform, and you'll find it because your speech starts before you speak. And, uh, Sue, you're speaking all the time, whether you're on stage or not. And and I'm excited that we got to connect. And I look forward to sharing the stage with you sometime soon. And um, I will forever look at meatballs and marinara just a little differently. <laughs> well, I am so happy to have met you. And yes, it would be an honor to share the stage with you. <laughs> okay. And if we do, we're definitely going out for pasta. Like not even, like hands down. That's not even a question. Oh, well, so we're going to open the talk with dancing. We're going to close the talk with dancing. And then we're going to have pasta. I, that sounds like a trifecta of amazingness. <laughs> I know. It's so rad. All right, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed this uh, dinner conversation as much as I did. And hopefully you got some stuff, some some great nuggets of information that you can add into your marinara. And this is just one one plate, one dish. We've got tons of people that are serving up all kinds of great information. So make sure to enjoy going back through some of these podcasts. If you like this one, leave a comment, share it with people, especially if they're Italian, especially if they're Leos, they're going to get connected right out the gates. Okay. So we appreciate you as an audience. And the more we can introduce you to the world of speakers, the closer you are to joining us. And you know what? It's not even about joining us. If you're listening to this, you are speaking to any capacity. You are part of the world of speakers because that's the most powerful thing we have is our voice. So take your message and share it, connect with people, and don't forget to be you. Sue, you are you. I appreciate you. And this has been a pleasure. So we're out of here and we'll talk to you later. Adios. Ciao.